So we're talking about the end times. If you want to really impress your friends, use this word, eschatology. When they say, what is your pastor preaching on these days? Say, eschatology. You know, ology, you can put that on the end of a word. It means the study of. So this is the study of esca. <laughs> I don't know what that means. So it's the end time study. And look, if you brought visitors, just pat them on the shoulder and go, he's all right. He's all right. I promise you he's okay. Um, I want to tell you about this timeline. Um, and it's, they've got it to pop up on the screen for you too. Um, but this timeline right here uh, kind of simplifies uh, what's going to happen in the last days. It actually starts all the way back at the Old Testament and just kind of makes it really easy for you to see, you know, what happened first, second, third, right on down. And, and we're in the church age. We're right here on this timeline right now. We are right here in the church age. And uh, the next big event on God's calendar I believe, and it is the position of this church based on our study of the scriptures, that the next big event on God's calendar is what is called the rapture. The rapture. And that is um, Jesus not coming back to the earth, but Jesus, the Bible says, coming in the air, coming in the clouds, um, in the heavens, not real positive what that looks like or what that means, but he will come and he will call out of this earth his children, the ones who have been born into the family of God, the ones who, according to John 3 and other references, have experienced the new birth, the spiritual birth. We are, we've all been born of woman or we wouldn't be here, but there's another birth that is required if you want to spend eternity with God, that's where the terminology born again comes from. A lot of people have messed that word up, but Jesus used it first. Born again, born of the Spirit, where you come to God and say, God, I am alive physically, but spiritually I am dead, and I need you to give me life spiritually. So I want to be born again. Romans talks about it being adopted into the family of God. You're not born one of God's children. Um, you are born an orphan. And then you choose who you will follow. And the Bible teaches us in the book of Romans that God wants to adopt you into his family and make you one of his children. Um, you know, there's just so much I could say about that because the world teaches so much messed up stuff. You know, there's this fatherhood of God theology out there that says everybody's God's child. Well, I know that sounds good, and I know that's probably really, really popular, but it's just not true. You're not automatically one of God's children. You choose to be. You choose to be. God calls you by his spirit. He woos you. He he, he convicts you of sin. He shows you who you are. He shows you that God's over here and you're over here and there's this great gulf between you and God and it happened in the Garden of Eden and that great gulf is called sin and there is one bridge. That would be a good name for a church. There's one bridge from us over here to God over here 
that you can cross over to get to God, and it's the cross. It's not a bridge to God. We're very narrow-minded about that here at the bridge. It's the only bridge to God. The cross is the only bridge. And so we hope you'll cross it. We hope you'll cross it. And you say, well, how do I do that? Just admit that you need a Savior, and there's only one, and his name is Jesus. And ask him to come into your life and take over your life. Ask him to wash away all your sins. And you know what the Bible says he will do with your sins? He will take them, every one of them, and cast them as far as the east is from the west. He will cast them into the sea of forgetfulness. He will never hold them against you again. I mean, your friends may say, I forgive you, I forgive you. And then when stuff gets really tense, they go, and I remember that time. Well, see, God will never remember it against you. Matter of fact, I don't care what your past is. I don't care what you've ever done in your past. When you bring it to God and you get, I mean, I love the songs we sung today, just getting on our face before God and just crying out to him. I hope when you sing on Sunday morning, you're looking at the words because our worship team is very intentional about the songs we sing. But when you get real with God and you say, man, I have royally messed up my life, he will wash that out of your life. And to him, which is all that matters, it's like you never did it. It's not like you did it and he just kind of forgets about it. To him, he, it's like you never did it at all. And it's gone. You may have a hard time forgiving yourself and there may be people you have damaged along the way who have a hard time forgiving you, but he has no hard time, not at all, forgiving you when you come before him and get real with him. But you gotta get real. You can't come and go, Lord, um, if I've done any, oh, you have. There's no if I've done anything. Amen, isn't that right? You just come say all that stuff, and you know what some of it is, and some of it you can't even remember, but you should bring it all to him. He washes that out of your life. He adopts you into his family. You're, you're what's called saved, born again. You're adopted into the family. You're one of his children. Now, you're going to mess up. You're going to mess up. You're going to drop the ball. You're going to go back to some of your old habits once in a while. But that doesn't mean you're not his kid. How many of y'all are parents? Your children ever mess up and break your rules? And somebody's like, yeah, duh. Uh, and, and so when they do, you just take them down to the bus station and go, you got to go live somewhere else. You are not my child anymore. You don't ever do that. They're still your child, aren't they? Now, you might be upset, and there might be a price for them to pay and all of that, but they're still your child, and you're going to mess up. You're going to mess up. Now, when you mess up, the enemy's going to come and tell you, you're, you're nothing and that you never meant it and that you're a big fake and you didn't really make a commitment to God because if you really made a commitment to God and you really were a Christian, you would have never gone back and messed up. Well, all you got to do to know that's lies, read your Bible. Some of the biggest, most awesome champions of the Bible messed up big time, didn't they? Now, if you keep messing up at the same thing, and you don't grow beyond it, 
That's a problem. That's a problem. And you need to get in a Bible study or you need to sit down with somebody who can help you get your roots down so you don't keep messing up at the same thing. I still mess up, but I don't mess up at stuff I messed up at 20 years ago. I mess up at new stuff. <laughs> and y'all are looking like you want me to share what those things are, and that ain't happening. <laughs> All right? Did any of that make sense? That's not even in the sermon. Again, free material. So let's talk about the rapture. So last week I demonstrated for you a drama. I did a drama up here, a one-man drama of you going up in the rapture. Do y'all remember that? So let's all do it. Here's you going up in the rapture. You're, you're Jesus. Now there's one thing I want you to really think about is when you're going up in the rapture, swing your feet. There's somebody's writing that down on their card right now. <laughs> Amen. So the rapture's Jesus coming, going, you know what? That's it. Last person that's going to get saved just got saved. That's it. And it's time for me to go. Father says, go get my bride. Go get my kids. And uh, Jesus comes down in the clouds, not to the earth, and he calls us. The Bible says a trump will sound. Well, that's probably more um, symbolic than literal. We'll talk about that probably over the next couple of Sundays. But there's a call of God to his children to come. And boy, in a moment, in an instant, they're gone. I love the definition that um, theologian Gleason Archer gives. And uh, I don't have this on the slide, and, and uh, you're not going to have time to write it down. So here's the deal. What, what you want to do is you want to write down my email address. And my email address is my name, Farrell, F-E-R-R-E-L-L, -L, at bridgechurch.cc. Farrell at, you know the little at sign. Don't write the word at. That won't work. At bridgechurch.cc. And if you write me and ask me for the notes, I will send you these notes right here. So you don't have to sit there today and go, I didn't get that. I'll just send you my notes, and, and you'll have everything. So listen to this, listen to this uh, definition of the rapture. The rapture of the church, Gleason Archer, theologian, the rapture of the church is the event in which God removes all believers from the earth in order to make way for his righteous judgment to be poured out on the earth during what is called what? The tribulation period. How many of y'all know uh, that there's already been a couple of raptures? Did y'all know that? Did y'all know there was a rapture in Genesis? What was his name? There's one guy. Who? Enoch. Exactly. Uh, Enoch. And so he was raptured. Now, what makes that interesting is that the environment that he lived in at that time is very similar to the environment we live in today. You know, we hear people all the time say, it's the worst it's ever been. How bad are times? It's the worst it's at, well, I don't know that that's true. I do know that a lot of things are happening, a lot of things are horrible and terrible in this world. But when you go back and study the days of Noah, it got so bad that God just sent a flood, and I mean, last few days, 
some of y'all nervous, but God sent a flood and, and just started over because man got so bad. So it's been bad before. The Bible says when you study Enoch's life, he was raptured at a time, listen to this, of social permissiveness. Do we have any of that? Oh, man. Scientific progressiveness and spiritual pride. And we have that today. So that's the same setting. The rapture is described primarily in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18, 1 Corinthians 15, 50 through 54. I think that's in your notes. Um, God will resurrect all believers who have died. So if you were to die before the rapture, on the day of the rapture, you come up out of the grave. God's going to give you a brand new body. And you come up out of the grave. So, you're, so if you pass away now and you're a child of God, you're going to go where God is. And then on the day of the rapture, he's going to cause your grave to come open. He's going to reunite you with a glorified body. And you're going to get to be part of the rapture even though, as a matter of fact, the Methodists are going to go before anybody else because the Bible says the dead in Christ are going to rise first. I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. As a matter of fact, when I was about to do that joke, I was thinking, which denomination am I going to use here? I love the method. I'm just kidding about that. I just, that was a joke. All right. So don't, don't send me any you hate Methodist letters. I don't hate them. I love them very, very much. And we have Methodists here among us today, and they are awesome, godly people. Uh, so God, God's going to resurrect all believers who have died, give them glorified bodies, and take them from the earth. And they'll go, really, they'll lead the way in the rapture. Along with those believers who are still alive, they'll, the dead in Christ will rise, they'll come. Along with the believers who are still alive, and who at that time will also be given glorified bodies that I just said. Okay? So the rapture. Now look, that's the rapture in a nutshell. There is so much to study about the rapture. And let me tell you, on the internet, you can find anything about the rapture. That includes UFOs and space people. And so please be careful what you read. If you want to read good book, good material, and I mentioned this last week, just get David Jeremiah's book on the end times. How many of y'all like Dr. David Jeremiah? Isn't he awesome? Wish I had his voice. What a great voice. And uh, he has not only got a great voice, he is so, um, he takes the complicated and makes it simple, and he has a great book. What's the name of that book? David Jeremiah's book on the last days. Anyway, just, it's easy to find. Amazon, David Jeremiah, it'll, co it'll come up. I can't remember what the title is. Uh, so now, so we've gotten raptured. So now the earth is still going on, even though we've been raptured. And by the way, I saw the trailer this week for the new movie, Left Behind. Have y'all seen the trailer? Nicolas Cage is in it. I was really surprised about that. Uh, but, um, so I hope you'll get the message and get saved. Wouldn't that be awesome? And so, so, you know, I was looking at that trailer, and you just have to understand that they have used their imagination. We don't know what that's going to be like. We, we just don't know what the rapture is going to be like. I mean, we do know we're going to be caught up. We're going to be gone. But, you know, it shows people being killed. It shows airplanes crashing. And, you know, I don't know. I don't know how God's going to do it. I just don't know how God's going to do it. But it's going to happen, okay? And I would encourage you, if you want to read uh, some the Left Behind series, 
It is a great series that I would encourage you to read. It's novels. It's great. How many of y'all read any of the Left Behind? So that's good stuff, but you have to understand that that, that, is, that is a person's imagination about what could be. But the men who wrote it are very, very good men, godly men. And so, uh, it's okay. did you know God's okay with us using our imagination? Yeah, so, so we can do that. Um, so now let's talk about the judgment seat of Christ. So stuff's going to be happening on the earth. What's going to be happening on the earth? What is that called? Tribulation period. And, the, and now, so we'll come back to that, but what's, ta- what's happening in heaven? Let's talk about that. There's something called the judgment seat of Christ, and we talked about this just a little bit last week, so I'm not going to talk about it a long time today, but I had a sweet, sweet message this week from a young lady, and she said, Pastor, please tell me, you know, why are Christians judged? And and tell me about that. And I could tell her heart was so sincere. And so I, I wrote, we wrote back and forth a little bit. And, and she said, I want to serve. I want to serve because that's what the judgment of Christians is about. God is going to ask you. Now, when you get, listen now, this is important. When you get raptured, you're sealed in heaven. Okay, this isn't to determine the bema, the judgment seat of Christ, uh, the judgment of Christians is not to decide if you're going to get to stay in heaven or not. Once you go up in the rapture, you're signed, sealed, delivered uh, by that great gospel singer uh, who sung that, Stevie Wonder, yes. And so uh, you, you're in, but there is going to be there's going to be a judgment of Christians, and God is going to ask you, everybody's going to stand before him, and God's going to ask you, what did you do? with the time I gave you, the opportunities. What did you do after I saved you? What did you do with the money I gave you? After I saved you, what did you do with the talents and the gifts I gave you? Met this young man right here this morning, and uh, we hadn't talked but just a couple minutes. What's your name again? Will. And we hadn't talked but just a little bit, and he was just telling me, he said, I have never met you. And uh, he looked like, you know, I was a little closer than normal, and he looked a little scared. But no. <laughs> so he, he was like, man, I love Pastor Jimmy. And uh, I said, Pastor Jimmy will give you the shirt off his back. He said, yeah, but usually he's sweated in it, and I don't really want it. But, <laughs> but Will, <laughs> I just, I'm sorry, Will jumped in. I mean, he's here, and and uh, we're loving on him, and he's serving in our church. And um, we want you to serve, because when you stand before God at the judgment seat and God asks you those questions, we want you to be able to answer up and him say, well done, well done. So there's going to be the judgment seat of Christ. Let me just read my notes about that. We should not look at the judgment seat of Christ as judging our sins, but rather as God rewarding us for our lives. As the scriptures teach, we will have to give an account of ourselves. And there are scriptures, uh, you got them in your notes, they're not here, but they're in your notes under the judgment seat of Christ there. I hope you'll read that. Part of this is surely answering for sins we committed, because how many of y'all know Christian sin sometimes? Hard to say amen to that, but it's true. All you got to do is read your Bible. Um, So part of it is going to be answering for sins we've committed. However, this is not going to be the primary focus of the judgment seat of Christ. At the judgment seat of Christ, this is important, believers are rewarded based on how faithfully they served Christ after they became Christians. Some of the things that you are going to be judged on, now this is interesting, 
is how well you obeyed the Great Commission. What does Great Commission say? Go ye into and to every creature, every preacher, <laughs> and, and make sure that you are obeying the Great Commission. What are you doing? You're a Christian. What are you doing to influence other people to become a Christian? And what's the big thing we say here at the bridge? If you will be Jesus to people, you'll get to talk about Jesus to people. When you go into Kentucky, the way our Kentucky team did, and you love on people, they will let you talk to them about Jesus. When you go into the prison and love on those guys and gals, they'll let you talk to them about Jesus because they don't feel like anybody loves them. So love, love, love opens the door for you to carry out the Great Commission. We're going to be judged on how victorious we were over sin. We've already kind of talked about that a little bit. Uh, talking about repeating the same sins over and over and going, oh, I'm sorry again, God. I apologize. No, you need to get that one behind you. you. There's something wrong if you keep doing the same stuff over and over and say, Pastor said I'd be forgiven every time. See, that's that, that right there, that's taking advantage of the grace of God. That's mocking the grace of God. So, so let me give you some, and you're going to want to write this down. Let me give you some real deep advice about sins you keep doing over and over. Stop it. Stop. stop. You can't keep doing the same. Something's messed up in your life if you keep doing the same stuff. Okay, so... How well we obeyed the Great Commission will be judged on that. How victorious we were over sin. How well we controlled. Listen to this one. This is in the list of things you're going to be rewarded for. How well you controlled your tongue. I was preaching on gossip at 5.30 this morning. Anybody tune into my Facebook page this morning? Getting some word on some gossip up in the house. Control your tongue. Stop. The Bible speaks of believers receiving crowns. And I know some of y'all are real humble. You're like, I don't want a crown. I want yours then. You just tell Jesus, I'm so humble. I don't want a crown. Give it to Pastor Farrell. I want it. Absolutely. I will wear you know, a different one every day. So the Bible speaks of believers receiving crowns for different things based on how faithfully they serve Christ. The various crowns are described throughout the New Testament, and I've got the scriptures here, and I'll send you these notes. James 1.12 is a very good summary of how we think about the judgment seat of Christ. Here it is. Listen to this. And it's not going to come up on the screen, and it's not in your notes. So listen, listen, listen. Blessed is the man, the woman, who perseveres under trial because when he or she has stood the test, he or she will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. So let's talk about another thing that's going to happen in heaven after the judgment seat of Christ. We're going to have the marriage supper of the Lamb. That is going to be a partay. That is going to be a celebration. It's going to be a wedding. He is, the, he is the groom. Jesus is the groom. We are the... So there's going to be a celebration. So in his vision, John the Revelator, in his vision in Revelation 19, 7 through 10, saw and heard the heavenly multitudes praising God because the wedding feast of the Lamb, 
Literally, the marriage supper of the Lamb was about to begin. John's vision pictures the wedding feast of the Lamb, Jesus Christ, and his bride, the church. Attending the wedding feast, this is so cool right here, attending the wedding feast will not only be the church as the bride of Christ, in other words, those who came to Christ after the cross, after the resurrection, but others are going to be at the wedding as well. The others include Old Testament saints. That is, that's just awesome. Sup, Abraham, sup. The, the other, you, and I know y'all know me, that is what I'll say to Abraham. The others include Old Testament saints who are going to be raised at the second coming, as well as the martyred dead of the tribulation, and we'll talk about that in just a minute. As the angel told John to write, Revelation 19.9, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb, Revelation 19.19. The marriage supper of the Lamb is a glorious celebration of all who are in Christ. And the people said, Okay, so we've had the rapture, and we've gone to heaven, and we've had the judgment seat of Christ, and then we had the marriage supper of the Lamb. So now we've got to come back down to earth and see what's going on there. We know this is called the tribulation. It is a future seven-year period of time when God will finish his discipline of Israel and finalize his judgment of the unbelieving world. The church made up of all who have trusted in the person and work of the Lord Jesus to save them from being punished for sin, will not be present at the tribulation. As it was in the days of, so shall it be in the last days. How was it in the days of Noah? Did everybody go through the flood? No. Some were rescued from the flood. And so I believe that when Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, he meant a lot of things, but I think that's one of the things he meant. The church, as a matter of fact, after Revelation chapter 4, all the way to the end of the book of Revelation, the church is never mentioned as being on earth during the tribulation period. And the reason they're never mentioned is because they're not there. The church isn't there. The church is in heaven. So the church will be removed from the earth in an event known as the rapture. We just talked about that. The church is saved from the wrath to come. Anybody happy about that? Little amen right there. Amen. So throughout Scripture, six people are happy that they're going to be raptured. I don't know what's going to happen to the rest of y'all. Throughout Scripture, the tribulation is referred to by other names. So I'm going to give you some other names that the tribulation is called so that when you read it in other places in the Bible, you know that's what it's talking about. So when you read um, in the Old Testament, also in Thessalonians, it is called the Day of the Lord. Tribulation period is called the Day of the Lord. It's also called the Day of Trouble or the day of tribulation, Deuteronomy and Zephaniah. It is also, the last half of it is referred to as the what? The great tribulation, because that's when the Antichrist reveals himself, and that's when all of the horrible things really begin to happen at the end, at the middle of those seven years. And it refers to the more intense second half of the seven-year period. Uh, time or day of trouble, it is referred to as the time of trouble or day of trouble. It is also referred to as Jacob's trouble. Now, I want you to just write down this in your notes, and then we're just going to get right off of it. But I want you to write down Daniel's 70th week. And we're not going to get into that today, but Dan there are 70 weeks, and they are weeks of years 
So every day is a year in this revelation that God gave Daniel. Seven weeks of Daniel's 70 weeks hasn't happened yet. I'm sorry, seven days, one week of Daniel's 70 weeks hasn't happened yet. And that is, that is going to happen. That is the tribulation period. So when you hear of Daniel's 70th week, it is referring to the tribulation period. And I would encourage you um, to go to the book of Daniel uh, and talk about that. Of course, you know, next week, Mitchell Grantham is going to be up here with me. Mitchell knows a lot about the end times, especially as it relates to modern events happening today. So you guys are giving your questions, sending in your questions. We're getting a bunch of questions. Don't forget, you can still do that. Let me give you an email address to use if you want to get your question in. And probably with me talking up here, you've probably got a bunch of questions already. Info, I-N-F-O, at bridgechurch.cc. Just send it to that address. You can email it to me. I'll just forward it to the right place. Um, and we want to answer your questions. We want to answer all the questions we possibly can. And they are coming in. And Mitchell's going to be up here with me. And uh, he's going to straighten out all the stuff I've said wrong. Okay? So in summary, the tribulation is the seven-year time period in the end times in which humanity's decadence and depravity will reach its fullness. Whew. I'm glad I'm not here for that. With God judging it accordingly. Now let's talk a little bit about the Antichrist, which is the main character in the tribulation period. During the tribulation, Satan, the great counterfeiter, he's never had an original thought. All he does is copy what God does and pervert it. He will introduce his own Messiah. He will introduce his own man, a man of lawlessness, a man of perdition, the Bible says, who will seemingly lead the world into a time of peace and prosperity during that first half of the seven years. This man is antichrist. He will accomplish, at least for a season, what no other ruler in history has managed to accomplish it will appear that he has created global unity. You know the Coca-Cola song, I like to give the world. Well, it's going to look like he did it. But guess what? He didn't. He will come to power at the beginning of the tribulation. Everybody's going to love him. Everybody's going to want to follow him. Not everybody, but a vast, vast majority and establish himself as a true world ruler. During the first half of Antichrist's seven-year reign, the inhabitants of earth will live in relative harmony. So the first three and a half years, there's going to be things, we're going to, there are going to be things happening that we know um, are, are going to be much different than they are today, but it'll be relatively harmonious because everybody will believe in this guy. Literally billions of misguided people will worship him as their god, and their Savior. And not only will Antichrist accept this worship, eventually he will demand it. He will demand it. He will exact the allegiance of all. Revelation 13, 16, and those who refuse to worship Antichrist face death. Okay? 
Now, uh, how many of y'all have heard of the 144,000? You heard of that? Well, let me just address that real quick. And I'm not going to get real deep into that. But some of your questions have been about that. The 144,000 are Jews, Jewish people, who become believers and become evangelists. And they are the first fruits of Israel. They're referred to as the first fruits of Israel, which as a nation, generally, not all Jews, but as a nation generally, will be redeemed before the end of the tribulation period. They will come to Christ. Zechariah tells us that in chapter 12 and many other places in Scripture. And uh, Romans eleven twenty six tells us that. The 144,000... Uh, are not all Jewish believers at the time, but a single group selected to proclaim the gospel in that day. So there may be some mixed among them that are not, but, but the 144,000 are gonna, and, and I want you to see the grace of God here. I want you to see the mercy of God. Do you see the mercy of God here? Just giving Israel one more opportunity. As a matter of fact, tribulation is primarily about Israel coming to God. And, um, but there will be other people that I believe who will come to Christ during the tribulation period. I would not encourage you to count on that. And here's what I mean by that, because the Bible says that those of us who have heard the gospel now before the rapture and the, before the tribulation, and every time we've heard the gospel, we've looked at the gospel and said, nah, no, not for me. This whole God, Jesus, church, Bible stuff, not for me. The Bible says that those people will be the first ones to follow Antichrist. They'll be the first ones to believe Antichrist. As a matter of fact, it says God will give them delusion. So I don't want to give you hope of thinking that somehow in the tribulation period you're going to get stuff right then. The people who are going to be saved during the tribulation primarily are going to be people, are the Jews primarily, and then people who never had the opportunity to hear the gospel the way you have. They're going to have opportunity, I believe. Okay? Um, let's talk about the second coming of Christ. Because the rapture and the second coming are not the same thing, right? You guys saw your... You guys saw your um, if you guys could put the chart, the uh, timeline back up there real quick for me. Um, the rapture is going to have, that's the next thing right here, going up, up. Jesus is up here. We're going up. He's going to call us home. We are up here in heaven, judgment seat of Christ, marriage supper of the Lamb. Well, then all of us who are up here are going to come down with Jesus at the end of the tribulation period, here's tribulation, here's earth, this line is earth, heaven up here. We come down at the end of the tribulation period with Jesus in the second coming of Christ. Because the reason this is the second coming and this is not is because he doesn't come here. He doesn't come to the earth here. He comes to the earth here. This is actually what the Jews were looking for when he was born in Bethlehem. It just wasn't time for that. Remember we talked about that last week? Jesus came as a savior. When he comes this time, he will come as sovereign, king, lord, master to take over. Okay? So at the end of the seven-year tribulation period, the Antichrist will launch a final attack on Jerusalem. We talked about that last week. Culminating in the battle of Armageddon. 
uh, Jesus Christ will return, destroy the Antichrist and his armies, and cast them into the lake of fire, Revelation 19. Christ will then bind Satan. Somebody say, yay. He will bind Satan in the abyss for a thousand years. And Jesus will rule his earthly kingdom for this thousand-year period. Now, go back to the chart, guys, if you will. People will be saved during this time, and they will go into that thousand-year millennial kingdom. They'll go into it, listen to this, with natural bodies. They don't have glorified bodies yet. They'll go in with natural bodies. Those of us who are up here have what kind of bodies? So these natural bodies that will go in here, go into the can have children. And there will be many, 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 many children born during the millennial kingdom. And because the curse of sin is gone, uh, they will, they, there won't be death, so they will live. They will all live forever, the whole thousand years. But God is such a God of justice and a God of, of um, uh, th this just really shows us how he wants us to choose him. He actually, the reason Satan is not cast into the lake of fire and is only bound for a thousand years is because he's going to loose Satan right here. He's going to turn him loose. And Satan is going to tempt those people who were born during the millennial reign of Jesus. Are y'all with me? And you're not going to believe this, but more than man can count are going to go with Satan. Even though they have grown up in this Jesus-ruled, Satanless thousand years, they are going to follow him. They'll have a sin nature, and they will follow Satan. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. So that's why Satan's loose, because I'm sure you have that question, why is he loose? So at the end of at the second coming, there is that battle of Armageddon. At the end of the thousand years, and we talked about that thousand years. Let me just, just talk about the thousand years a little bit. The millennium, also known as the millennial kingdom, is the thousand-year reign of Christ after the tribulation. Jesus will reign as king over Israel as well as all the nations of the world during this time, during this time right here. The world will live in peace, Satan will be bound, and at the beginning, everyone will worship God. The purpose of the thousand-year reign is to fulfill promises God made to the world that cannot be fulfilled while Satan is free and humans have political authority in the world. I love hearing that humans won't have any political authority during that thousand years. Some of these promises called covenants were given specifically to Israel. Others were given to Jesus, the nations of the world, and creation. All of these uh, will be fulfilled during Jesus' 1,000-year reign. And again, you can get all these notes, so don't try to write this down. At the end of the thousand years, Satan will be released, defeated again, and once he is released and does his work here, he'll be defeated again and will be cast forever into the lake of fire. Somebody say yay. Uh, so after the events of the end times, the current heavens and earth, this is so cool, listen to this. 
After the events of the end times, the current heavens and earth will be done away with and replaced by a new heaven and a new earth. The eternal dwelling place of believers will be the new earth. The new earth is the heaven on which we will spend eternity. It is the new earth where the new Jerusalem, that heavenly city, will be located. So much to teach there, but just can't do it here. It is on the new earth that the pearly gates and streets of gold will be. Heaven, the new earth, is a physical place where we dwell with glorified physical bodies. The concept that heaven is in the, I love this, I love this. Because I, how many of y'all get bored easy? ADD, I get bored easy. Squirrel, you know, I, I got to have stuff going on. So I was really glad to read this. The concept that heaven is in the clouds is unbiblical. The concept that we will be spirits floating around in heaven is unbiblical. Yay, because i got to tell you, a day of that's awesome. But after two, three days, I'd be going, what else you got? I mean... Y'all, I know y'all out there going, he ain't right. I'm just saying, I don't want to float around playing a harp. I've never really cared for a harp. I mean, if I hear one harp song a year, I'm good. The heaven that believers will experience, listen to this, will be on a new and perfect planet on which we will dwell. The new earth will be free from sin, evil, sickness, suffering, and death. The new earth will be a recreation of the current earth, but without the curse of sin. There are not words in the English language to describe what it's going to be like. You want to be there for this. Do you hear me? You don't want to miss this. Even if there were no hell, you don't want to miss this. When Revelation 21.1 refers to the new heavens, it is likely indicating, listen to this, that the entire universe will be recreated. Not just a new earth, but a new sky, a new outer space. It seems as if God's heaven will be recreated as well to give everything in the universe a fresh start physically and spiritually. That's awesome. Now, as you listen to that, I mean, you, you're thinking, man, is this real? Yes. It is more real, guys, than the chair you're sitting in. It is more real than the person beside you. It, this is real. This is real. You say, Pastor, you know, when you say stuff like that, there are going to be people that are going to laugh. There are going to be people that are going to mock that. There are going to be people that are going to go, this church is nuts. This pastor's crap. I know. But didn't they do that to Jesus too? 
And didn't they do that to Noah when he said rain's coming? So here's what I want us to do today. I want you to stand up and let's walk up here.